1: Raging Cajun Nation to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand and let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's that see ready? Who's that team ready? I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Regent Review podcast. For the very first time live and in living color, Nick, Jerry, Josh, with you. And can we get a round of applause for Nick Doming and putting together that video package? That was outstanding.
0: Thank you. Thank Great you
1: job. Much. We don't even look like amateurs the first time.
0: <laughs> nice Not yet. I'll screw something up at some point.
1: Dude, we started out with a bang
2: here, okay? This isn't... Uh... I, I think we, we landed in the clouds on that intro so thanks
0: man i just added the pictures to the music that's all i did
1: <laughs> no it was good so Jerry speaking of starting out with a bang uh fan fest you were there uh talk to us about it a little bit some of us probably didn't get to make it out there uh sunday afternoon you know, a lot of time it's family time or whatnot so what did you see what did you uh were you encouraged by the by the crowd you know talk to us about it
2: when we showed up, there was still a decent crowd. Uh, a lot of the memorabilia and the, and the souvenirs were, they looked pretty empty at the tables when you walked in. Um, when we were walking in, we, I think the, the fan day actually started when the band, I, from what I was told, the band came out, played the fight song, played a few songs. Uh, coach Christy Grace spoke, uh, Dr. Brian Maggard spoke, coach Mike Desermo spoke for about five minutes each. And, uh, the raging jazz, uh, Overall, it was just a great, it was a great event because I want to say this is the first fan day that we've had since 2019. So, you know, there's a sense of normalcy that's back. Um, And I I was, of course, we brought, we brought the little one with us. So there were a few of our friends and some fans who know us who got to meet Allie for the first time. And she was a great sport. I mean, she, she really enjoyed it, you know, rolled the stroller around and got to meet some of our, our friends for the first time in a while. So, you know, fan day for me always kind of kicks off the football season. Uh, You know, the band marches out, the players sign autographs, you hear a few of those pep talks like they gave, you get a few of the souvenirs. So now it kind of got me in that zone uh, because we are 13 days away from kickoff. Uh, Yesterday, for those who don't know, was the last official Saturday without college football until the end of the year. So we will see some games next week. Um, Not the, there's a few matchups that are okay, but just the fact, it's like preseason football, that first game, right? Even though it doesn't count, you're just happy that you get to watch some football. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought today today kind of kicked off the season for me officially going to Fan Day, and we had a good time. Didn't stay too, too long, but, uh, you know, it was nice to see them have this event again. And, um, yeah, in less than two weeks, we'll be out occasion field tailgating and watching the team take the field.
1: First time they do it at the convention center though, right?
2: They they've done it before. Actually, they started doing it, I want to say about five years ago, maybe five or six years ago. They they did it at Cajun Field for the longest time. And remember how hot it was. It was sometimes it was kind of miserable. And then they moved it to the, the turf, Cajun man. home. Yeah. When when uh, when we had that arena football team. They put the arena football turf out, and it was on the floor of the Cajun Dome, which I thought was a great setup. And then after that, a few years later, they moved it to the convention center, which is, I think is a perfect place to have it. Um, you know, Parking wasn't difficult. It was easy to walk in, walk out. The flow of the crowd was good. So overall, it was a great event.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of having the coaches speak, too. I think it's a great idea. Good way to kick it off. Let's talk football. That's what we're all here for. That's right. All right. uh, Quarterback situation sounds like it's been decided. I know Mike hasn't made anything public, but uh, we're probably all three on the same page. I think, uh, I think you have a story if it's not Chandler Fields, right? I mean, we all feel the same way. Uh, Everything that I'm getting, and I know a lot of it is rumor. I understand that. Look, this is not the New York times. You know, we, some of it is going to be rumor that we deal with. I mean, we don't have a mole inside of every program. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so, right. so it sounds like it's going to be Chandler, uh, you know, may, may or may not have heard from a few players that it's Chandler. So I think you have a story if it's if it's been. Unfortunately, uh, you know, somebody has to lose out in that battle. But look, you know, it's, it's, this is a whole new ball game. We're breaking in a, a new quarterback for the first time in four years. The backup quarterback has got to be ready to play, especially in a situation like this. I expect him to get playing time against Southeastern. I think it's a perfect opportunity that this first three or four games, we've already talked about it. I think it's a perfect opportunity for Ben. If he does get the, the opportunity that we, I mean, I expect him to be able to play some when he gets on the field, he needs to shine. Not only because he's still auditioning in some ways, uh, if something, you know, hopefully not, but if something would ever to happen to, to Chandler in these first few games, we need a, a competent backup to come in and take snaps. So your guys thoughts on, Chandler feels being QB one, if he is indeed named quarterback one. Seniority. I
2: think Chandler gets it based off of seniority. I mean, the few times he played last year, uh, you know, he showed some spark. And and even with Levi being Levi, you know, the leader of the team, it seemed like players responded to Chandler as well when he was on the field. He seems kind of like that field general, Uh, very poised. Uh, So that's a great that's a very great trait for a quarterback, especially as a leader. Uh, if it is him, another thing too, is like you said, Josh, it's very important to understand is that when you have a quarterback competition, which by the way, I'm very happy. We had one. I know that makes fans nervous sometimes, but competition is good. It's always good. That means you have two players that are not only vying for that position, but they're capable of, of playing that role. So that means you've got two guys, you know, who could probably start at any time. So I'll take that as well. I love the competition. One thing to be sure, or rest assured for Ben Woolridge or Woolridge, if it's not him, he's on call he's on call at any time um you know anytime you have a new quarterback go in now granted I think Chandler if it is him he's going to do a great job but look anything can happen so uh anytime you got QB2 holding that clipboard he better be ready to get his helmet uh set and you know warm up some snaps at at any given any given minute of a game so look I'm Regardless of who the quarterback is, I've said this before, I trust Coach Dez. First of all, he's a former quarterback. Secondly, he's been, I'm sure, in a few of those quarterback competitions when he played with guys like Jerry Babb. Um, I remember he, uh, you know, the the style of play between Ben and Chandler, um, that's the intriguing part to me because Ben came in from Fresno State as more of a gunslinger, pocket passer, but he seems to be elusive from what I was told at practice. Meanwhile, Chandler – Fits more of the offense that we run, sort of that that uh, that spread rush offense we run, kind of what Levi did with maybe a little bit of a more pop to his throws. But I I mean, I'll be honest with you, I think regardless of who the starter is, as long as they can fit the system, I don't care. (laughs) Just hey, move us down the field and give us score some touchdowns. That's all I ask for. So. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to find out probably by tomorrow. I know there was, I'm sure Coach Dez had his announcement today, but uh, if it's Chandler, great, if it's Ben, great. But whoever it is, I hope they're ready
0: come September 3rd against Southeastern. Yeah, I'm looking for the white smoke. Is it the white smoke or the black smoke when we when we get a Pope? That's what I'm white. waiting for. No, I'm <laughs> habemus QB1, <laughs> Habemus QB1. That's what I'm waiting for. Look, uh, I think you saw in the competition this spring especially how – how close they were in that competition. And I can't imagine how tough of a decision that was for, for Dez to make, but you got to think with Chandler's leadership these past few years and, and everybody's talked about how he's great in the locker room. And, and if you've got a close quarterback competition and you've got that little extra thing that you, that you kind of, that, that one push over the finish line, I think that's, what's going to do it for Chandler. I would have loved to, and I look forward to seeing Ben in as quarterback in hopefully cleanup duty. I hope Chandler can can keep his helmet on better than Levi did because we saw a lot of him coming in the game when Levi would lose his helmet. But, uh, you know, I hope we see him a lot in cleanup duty. I, I hope it's not a, a result of something bad happening to Chandler, but I'm comforted in knowing that we have a 6'4 QB transfer from Fresno State on the bench uh, ready to go at, at any moment. I looked forward to possibly seeing, look, I love big quarterbacks because they see over the line. You don't have to worry about their passes getting swatted down. We saw that a couple times with Levi, but he was so elusive that he kind of he kind of was able to manage the game away from that. So I'm a little disappointed. I'm not going to, if this is true, not going to see the 6-4 quarterback starting for us, but very excited for Chandler, very excited for uh, what I've seen out of him these past two seasons, and I don't think we could have gone wrong
1: either way. Agree 100%. And, you know, if we're freestyling here for a minute, you know, somebody made a comment, or I think actually it was Mike, said in a press conference recently, he said that, you know, Ben is a little more regimented in how he goes about his business, but Chandler seems to be creative. He can, you know, he operates well when the play breaks down. And when he said that, it cemented it for me. That's how Mike was. I mean, look. Let's be honest. Mike wasn't Peyton Manning back there. He had to do the best with what he had. And a lot of times that was using his legs, getting outside of the pocket and hitting open receivers when the play would break down. When he made that comment, I knew right then and there, we already kind of thought it was Chandler, right? I mean, we we had been talking about that for six months. I think Mike kind of always leaned towards the guy that had the playing time and had the extra year under his belt and things like that. I think coaches just naturally lean to that player. Usually. Um, but I think I, I, when he made that comment, I said, oh yeah, Mike, Mike's going with Chandler because there's going to be so many times in a game, you saw Levi do it, you know, maybe it wasn't his best, you know, his, his best, you know, he didn't maybe play his best during those times, but he definitely can make plays out of nothing. And I think that if we're going to run a similar offense, we need a guy back there, not to say that Ben can't, but I think Chandler's just a little bit better than Ben in, in that regard. So to me, it, 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 he kind of gave it away a little bit when he said that. And uh, so I, I've kind of been operating as if, you know, Chandler, it's been a done deal. Another thing that this quarterback competition has given to us, and I think that this was by design, we kind of got to know Zeon Chris a little bit. And everything that's coming out of camp right now is that this guy has all of the tools. Talent is out of this world. He just needs to learn the playbook and he needs to get a little bit seasoned. I think that Zion is probably your quarterback of the future. How you know how soon that future will come? I'm not really sure. I think if if Chandler goes out and has a, a solid year, or you know, there's so many things. I mean, I understand that I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but if if, if Chandler goes out and has a winning, successful year and puts up big numbers, and Zion pushes him in the spring of next year, might have a quarterback controversy thing going on, which is a great problem to have. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think that the quarterback room is as healthy. As it's ever been here, I mean, you you got Ben and Chandler who obviously are talented, pushed each other to the to the end, and then you got Zion taking reps with second team. Uh, I think it was the third drive or second drive of the of the final scrimmage that you know the quarterback uh, decision was going to be made. I think that says a lot about his ability. I think it says a lot about the coaching staff's interest and and belief and what he can do on the field. Uh, and he produced. He produced. Now I know it was situational, but he produced in that situation. You know, I think it was red zone offense and then also i think they did a two-minute drill all those things are very encouraging go ahead jerry
2: well to, to your point i'm very impressed with the fact that we have two quarterbacks that are transferred from decent schools with known offenses i mean granted maryland yeah i not, didn't even
1: i didn't even mention the lance best.
2: they're not the best but it's a big 10 school so i know they recruit at a certain level and then coming from fresno state i mean they're they're an offense with a reputation in the mountain west for scoring points so you've got two quarterbacks from there plus you've got Chandler. you've got hunter herring that was recruited that had a lot of respect coming out of high school uh, up in north louisiana so and then of course you got zion who i mean the, the stats speak for itself his highlights speak for themselves uh so you've got five solid guys on that depth chart that could come in i think the biggest question and we're going to talk about this as time goes on in this episode is the unknown i mean you're replacing the winningest quarterback in program history. It's very hard to follow that sometimes. But one thing I, I'm very excited about is I like to see these guys develop. I like to see these guys. Um, uh, I like to see, I like to hear the pro- the progression of what these guys have done at camp. That's one thing that was very impressive because there were positives for all of them. Anytime you got a report this, this, uh, in the last few weeks, they've all been pretty positive. Um, now, granted, you've you know it was a one array, a runaway race for two of those guys between Ben and Chandler, but to hear the other three on the depth chart, you know, hear them progress, hear them get better, hear the fact that Zion maybe, I think Mike had said something about him playing in certain packages this year. I mean, as a freshman, I mean my, my as a fan, I, I'm playing armchair quarterback for a second. I, I would have said just redshirt him. Now, granted, you get four games to play, but I would have said redshirt him. But all in all. I mean, the guy, you're right. I think he is the future. I think it's a great time for him to learn. But um, I like the fact that we do have depth. Again, it's just a matter of going out there and proving that and then being able to to, to follow in the footsteps of what Levi accomplished here.
1: And I think it's kind of dangerous to even frame it like that and not not on your comment, Jerry. Just if you're a fan out there and you're thinking, well, what are we going to get from the quarterback position as opposed to what we got from the quarterback the quarterback position when Levi was here. I think that's a dangerous way to approach it. I think that our approach should be we're starting in neutral. Okay. We're starting so fresh. I mean, you, you have a, a totally different recipe. You got a totally different deal. What can we get out of this quarterback situation that we have in 2022? I think that's got to be the focus because you're setting yourself up for failure. If you're, if you're hoping for what he throws, Six or seven interceptions all year, and maybe a fumble or two. I mean, the kid didn't turn the ball over. Then he went out and performed his best in big games. Uh, there's so many. You got to get so many reps under your belt to be able to do that without even blinking. So I, I, I don't. I think it's. I think it's dangerous to compare any of these quarterbacks to Levi Lewis. He's. They're not. Not yet. And they might be better. And they may have more potential. Maybe. Maybe. I just don't think it's going to happen in week one against Southeastern. I don't think it's going to happen in, you know, week five against, uh, what is it, South Al that we play at home. I think I think that it's a progression, and you got to take it for what it is. And I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that. What do you think, Jared?
2: I mean, it takes time. It takes time when you replace somebody that has been your starter for, for three years and has won 30-something games. Uh, I, I'm not ready to – I mean, look, there's going to be fans that if if Chandler, whether it's Chandler or Ben, if they throw for 400 yards and four touchdown passes, no interceptions, everybody's going to say, OK, that's it. Um, but it takes time. I mean, look, no disrespect to Brooks Hack, but I remember the game against Northwestern State, second game of the year in 2015. He had a great game. And everybody said, this guy's the future. You know, following in the footsteps of Terrence Broadway, he's going to be the guy. And then the very next week against Akron, we lay an egg. Then before you know it, we put in, um, we put Jalen at quarterback. Jalen has a great game against Texas state. Oh, he's the future. Then he has a bad game the week after that. And we had this quarterback carousel all up until pretty much Levi, um, until Levi and um, drawn a blank, but uh, Nunez, Nunez. Yeah. Nunez came in. And after that Nunez was named the starter in 2018, 2019, Levi gets the role and ever, ever since he's, he was the starter. So, you know, you can't judge that based off of one game. I think in this situation, you've got five winnable games to start the year. I, I think this is a great time to really see that cons- if we can have consistency, that's, what's important is are is the quarterback position going to be consistent? You know, the, the touchdown to interception ratio, what's that going to look like? You know, how poised is he going to look on the field? How do the players react to him? Those are things that I'm gonna personally. I'm gonna be looking at that in those first five games because if if everything comes back positive those first five games, where we see that leadership role and we see the stats that follow it, then yeah, I can say you know if it's if it's Chandler, if it's Ben, that's the guy.
0: Look, we've but but here's the difference. You're talking about uh, Brooks coming in and having a bad game, and then Jalen. But but look at we've seen Chandler in action. We've seen what he can do. And granted it's been late in games at times in cleanup duty, but he's come in the middle of very important games and you're expecting him to hand off the ball and he throws a dart down the field. So we've seen what he can do. Um, Again, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think anything bad will happen. I just think that we just need to like you said temporary expectations and let him grow in the role as the starter through the season. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about ranking our different positions and what that's going to look like because we have a lot of a lot of different personnel on the field that maybe weren't starters in the past and they're going to need time to develop over the course of the season. So it's not just with the quarterback, it's
1: going to be across many position groups throughout this team. Agree 100%. We're going to move on to our rankings of the Uh, team units but I want to say this real quick our buddy Dan's uh, Dan Bearden's checking in uh, big big supporter of us for a long time I really appreciate Dan listening Uh, he says that uh, and also he's the founder of the Raging Page and Coaches Association Uh, he's been doing the bit for over a year it's outstanding (laughs) I think it's very funny but he says you know guys don't don't forget that uh, a a big a big portion of the RPCA as he calls them uh, wanted Chandler Fields over or uh, Levi all year so and And, look, I understand that there was some some people that weren't enamored with his ability to throw the ball and his efficiency wasn't great at times. And I think that there there's a conversation to be had on both sides of the of the the, uh, the aisle for that. Were there times where I felt like Levi could have helped us in games with his arm and he didn't? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in retrospect, do I look back and say the intangible the intangibles with him were about as good as you can possibly imagine? I mean, look at the guy's record. It speaks for itself. I'm certainly not going to get into another Levi debate. You know, the guys in the NFL trying to make a a roster right now. So, you know, the RPCA can say what they want. And Dan's not wrong. They definitely, you know, that was a topic of conversation. But now we're going to be able to see what Chandler can do outside of Levi. Look, I'm going
0: to say the backup quarterback is usually the most popular player on a team. Right. When, when things aren't going 100 percent your way, throw an in interception, we'll put the backup in. So that's uh, that's not surprising to hear. And,
1: and another thing <laughs> especially is too, when Hood was here, his absolute favorite was the backup yeah. quarterback. Yeah. And
2: another, another thing is, too, is 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 coach Des said it a few weeks ago in one of his interviews that, you know, they want to start fast tempo. They want to start off hot. With their offense, with our offense this year, last year in the last or the last few years really, in spite of our record, in spite of what we accomplished, offense started pretty slow the first few weeks. If you notice that last year it started slow, in twenty twenty it started slow. So, you know, one thing that was that's one thing that not many people talked about with Levi's. Levi actually, it took him a few games to really get going. He what Levi looked like in week one, he looked completely better by week seven or week eight. And, and that's one thing that I'm going to notice against about this offense. And that's like I said, that's what Coach Des alluded to is he said, we want to start off a lot quicker this time. We want to start off a lot hotter this time and not have to kind of uh, grind our way to a touchdown, grind our way to nice drives. So that's going to be interesting to see with a new quarterback. That's going to be interesting to see with some of these new guys coming in, a new offensive line. I think that's a huge thing. We'll talk about that in a little bit, the importance of the offensive line kind of determining what the offense can do. But that's the thing about Levi. Levi Levi usually started off pretty slow. But by the time we were like in the middle of the season, he was he was prime Levi. And so, yeah, I mean, look, we get to see this again with the new quarterback. <laughs> Lucky us, right? <laughs>
1: The RPCA would say it's because we got into conference play and got out of the out of conference. But I digress. I digress. Don't shoot cool, the messenger. You mean against,
2: so, so, so instead of playing Nichols, we, we, we get to play App State and South Al. I mean, come on, Look, man.
1: Don't don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what to say. <laughs> All right, guys, let's let's move on to units. Um so our creative team kind of put together some really nice pieces about Different groups and, you know, running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, etc. So I thought that it would be fun rather than to do a traditional preview of the team and talk about the roster and everything. We thought it'd be more fun to go ahead and rank, uh, you know, weakest to strongest. And we're going to start out at the bottom, our weakest uh, groups to our strongest. And, you know, this is not a knock on anybody. We This is what we think. And some of it is because, you know, we have big time questions going into this season for the first time in a long time. So, you know, look, position, we know a lot of players listen. If we rank your position group towards the bottom, please don't, please don't message me. I'm. It's just a, it's just a bit. It's a segment. All right, please. Anyway, all right, we're going to start out and I I'm get gonna Nick. Be,
0: I'm going to be dramatic about this. I'm going to go ahead and unveil you first and let you make any comments that you want to defend. If you have any to defend and then we'll move on to Jerry. All right, there you go.
1: All right. Well, I'll get us started and we can have discussion further, but offensive line for me is the weakest position group. And this is why, okay. You know, who's going to start, you know, Carlos is is going to be back and healthy. That's the, I, that's the, uh, the, the, you know, conversation that's coming out of camp. He's finally going to be healthy. Well, I still, I still put him as a question mark. I know he's a good player. I know he's talented, but can he hold up? That's a question mark for me. That's number one. Number two, Jax Harrington's moving to a new position. The kid's uber talented. He he's, super strong, all that, but he's not a center. This is the first time he's going to play center. So that's a question mark for me. The depth overall, it's not there. I mean, the second unit is nothing like what we would run out there with marks and, and, you know, I know Cole pruden was kind of banged up, but he was our second, second line center after we moved Shane back to, to center after he started out somewhere else. So I, I don't, and also you got to remember, we had young NFL talent waiting in the wings Okay, so Gilly's going to be on the, I think he's the left tackle this year. Um, who's behind him? Who's going to step up? I know I hear a lot of Caden Morrow coming out of camp. Caden Morrow was one of those guys that wasn't highly sought after until right up to signing time. And then, you know, a lot of schools came in after, but he was already committed. We like him. He's athletic. He's more lean. Uh, I, I think that he's, he's quicker than he should be for his size. I like him, but he's raw. No real stats, no no real, no real reps. I'm sorry, excuse me. I got tripped up over my words there, but I think that there's so many question marks on the offensive line. I, I can't really put them. I don't even know if our starters are going to be as effective as I think they should be. We have some talent, we have some experience, we have some depth. I mean, we were torn. We we're torn Hammy away from a new guy that's never seen college football reps playing a left tackle. You know what I mean? So to me, it's the question marks at offensive line that that really put them as our weakest unit. Um, I have special teams right dead smack in the middle at five. Yes, Stenga, I love you, man. You're one of the best punters in the country, if not the best. However, a kicking game hasn't been the best. Now, I know Kenny wasn't healthy last year, and he's been pretty accurate. And from everything that's coming out of campus, he's, he's fine. He's healthy. He's going to make field goals. Great. We need it, but I got to see it. I got to see these young guys, these young gunners on the outside going downfield, keeping contained, making tackles. That's part of the special teams. Uh, I'm just – Paul's gone, our long snapper. That's going to be another issue. Not an issue, but a question mark. That's the way I should frame it. Um, And then as far as – look, one through four, I think it's pretty easy. I think the defensive secondary is the strongest by far unit on the football team. You got guys like A.J. I mentioned this on the on the first episode of season five. A.J. Washington was an integral part of shutting Iowa State down. He made Purdy look like a Southland quarterback. He shut down one of the best Big 12 wide receivers on an island in man-to-man coverage. I mean, that that's something. And he couldn't beat out Makai Gardner, who, you know, I know he transferred, but I think that he's poised to come back and make a real statement. You know, and I know they got Amir McDaniel. He's kind of in front of him right now. I can't really figure that out. I don't know a ton about him, but apparently he's killing it in camp. So look look for McDaniel to be out there in, in the uh, on the two deep outside. But right now you got Trey Amos, who's – look, Trey Amos is an NFL cornerback as long as he can stay healthy, size and physical. You got Eric Gar- Garer, who is physical, a little bit undersized, but name the last time that Eric Garer got torched. You can't because it's never happened. The guy is legit on the outside. He is—he eliminates one side of the football field, and that is the biggest compliment that you can give to a cornerback. So I, also, here's the other thing. Cam Podesklo is moving from star back to his free safety position where I think he's the best. I think that the best snaps of his career has been at free safety. So you got Brandon Bishop moving up to star. You got Cam going back to free safety. Of course, you got Braylon back there, fifth-year senior, fifth-year redshirt senior, okay, so what are you talking about? Six years in the program, almost six years in the program, five five plus. You can't pay for that type of leadership coming back. I love the defensive secondary, wide receivers again outside. We can block. We've got size. We've got we've got slot receivers who can make people miss, get yak, catch the football, turn it upfield. We've got possession guys like Bergeron and uh, I don't know if he says Bergeron Bazeron. That's a that's a different parish thing. Apologize if I said that improperly. But you got him and you got uh, 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 Pete that are great possession receivers. Pete's a little bit more – he's more versatile than just your possession. But if it's third and seven, third and nine, I'm looking for Pete. We got speed. We've got it all. Anything that you could want, you know, and and then apparently Dalen Cambry is uh, is having a hell of a camp. So look for him to get some snaps. Uh, Defensive line, Mason Narcisse. is is coming on. Wilkerson is finally healthy. He's a beast. I think that Zion Hill is the best Sunbelt Conference defensive player. I think if if we had a preseason Sunbelt Player of the Year for defense, I'd give it to him right now. I think he's going to be an absolute terror. I think top to bottom, the defensive line is better this year than it was last year and probably even the year before. Guys are healthy. Guys are playing well. I think they're on a mission. I know Sauce got a ton of publicity last year, and, and he should have. Okay, I understand that. But I think we're more versatile. I think we're faster, and I think we're more athletic this year, the defensive line. And then, of course, tight ends. I'm a little bit biased. However, Johnny Lumpkin is on another – is the Mackie? Is it the Mackie? Tight end, best tight end. He's on that award watch. Dude, he's a blocker. He's, he can catch the football. I know he's kind of had his ups and downs with drops, but I, I think he's poised to have the year that we all expected him to have. I love Neil Johnson. I think he's a mismatch. I would have thrown it to him every single time he was in the game last year. I've had this conversation with multiple people. When that guy's on the field, he's open, period. He's too, he's, he's such a mismatch. He's too fast for linebackers, and he's too big for cornerbacks and safeties. Throw him the football. I want to see Neil Johnson get the football more. And then, of course, Pierce Meagle uh the consummate pro he's always working hard he's always doing the dirty work that guy love him you can flex him to fullback you can flex him out he can catch the ball he can block for you love him I'll stop rambling whoever's next
2: all right Jerry you're up I'll be honest with you Josh there are some things that uh our list looks similar but it looks different at the same time I think but I'll start-
1: overall do you disagree or do you agree um,
2: I, if you notice my list, I think you know. Like I said, if you look at number one and number two, I mean, it was kind of a, it was kind of a flip of a coin, really, on who would be the strongest. Uh, but I agree with with offensive line. I think everything you said was spot on. There's a lot of unknowns. Uh, you only really have one or two returning starters coming back. You just lost two, uh, one of which went to the NFL. The other one transferred with with Billy Napier and his staff over to Florida. Um, and really, the big concern is depth. Uh we've noticed the last few years we've now, luckily for us, we've had guys that have gone down and backups that have stepped in, but there's still unknowns there. You don't know if these guys could come in and just take over. It's very difficult in the line. And the thing about our offense is, you know, we've always run sort of that, that spread. We've always run sort of that, 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 that spread run offense that you, where you need those guys in the front five. Uh, the 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 offensive line to really step up and do their thing and and you know really just determine whether or not we move the football. It's like the most important um, unit on the field. But because of that, I think that there is, like I said, there's unknowns there. Um,
1: hey Jerry, real quick, my biggest concern. I should have said this, and I apologize. My biggest concern is the fact that we built an offense around running the football, even though we spread. It was because we had athletic offensive linemen that could move yeah open gaps they could do everything that you would want a a run blocking offensive line to do my concern is that in particular i'm not too worried about their ability to drop back and pass block especially because we got fields back there who is creative kind of like we talked about i want to see these guys road grade okay that's the thing that's my that is my biggest concern can we keep our identity with this offensive line not saying we can't can we
2: well when you when you have guys like Osiris Torrance that leave like I said when you have guys like Max Mitchell that's in the NFL when you have guys like Robert Hunt and Kevin Dotson who are used to seeing run down the field and make blocks you know however many yards up the field that helped our rushing attacks you you get kind of worried when you see new faces, a lot of new faces at one time, because you're so used to that consistency with veteran starters. Now you have guys like A.J. Gilley, you've got guys like Jax Harrington, you've got even David Hudson. They've gotten enough play time to where there is a little bit of familiarity, but the question is, can they do that consistently like we saw with those guys that I mentioned earlier? That's the biggest concern for me for the offensive line. Plus you have a new quarterback, you have pretty much, I mean, and you see me at number eight, You know, I noticed mine's a little bit lower than you, Josh, but the running backs, Chris Smith's the only real returning starter. That's coming back. You just lost your two other guys to the transfer portal. One went to Florida, the other went to TCU. So, That kind of concerns me a little bit. Now I know Kabodi coming in, you know, we've waited for him to kind of step up. He hasn't really played as much lately. They've said he's had a good camp so far. Terrence Williams, another one, he got some playtime last year. But those are guys that really have to show me something, right? We haven't seen enough playtime with them to really show us something. Whereas Chris Smith is Chris Smith but he can't do it by himself. One thing that's made our running backs so special is that we play running back. We, we, we play these guys by committee. I mean, we've always had a three headed monster in the last three or four years. And really it's, it's a one headed monster right now until we see what those other guys can do uh, besides just Chris Smith, because that's always been sort of the backbone of our offense. other the are the running backs in the depth of the running back position. So I'm a little concerned there just because again, there's no disrespect to the running backs. It's just, there's a little bit more inexperience there because we've lost some guys to other places. Now granted last year we had the same situation. You had Imani Bailey, he had some play time in 2020, but he really stepped up in 21. Montreal Johnson was a true was was a I don't know if he was a true freshman, but he was a freshman and they really showed that they can step up. I hope we can see the same thing in the running back position because if we do, our offense is going to be very dangerous because our rushing attack is very important with the style of offense we run Uh, at seven, I put quarterback again. It's mainly because of the unknowns. Yes, we have depth. Yes. We have guys that have really stepped up at camp, but it's, it's a new, it's a new position and you're following in the footsteps of the school's winning as quarterback. So that's why I have number seven Uh, defensive line. I I put them a little bit lower than you, Josh, mainly because again, we're playing some new faces. You know, we do have depth, but we're playing some new faces. I think it's going to take them a little bit of time. To kind of step up and be able to rotate and have show consistency, uh, I like the fact that we are deep. The only thing about the defensive line is like we do have some newer guys, and the question is, can they step up and follow in the footsteps of what we've seen over the last three years? If we can do that, I probably would have moved them up a little higher. Again, the bottom four is not because we can't play. The bottom four is because we just don't have enough experience yet, and it, it's it's kind of a show me something, you know, type mindset that i had when i made the, the bottom four on the list um tight ends i like johnny lumpkin i like neil johnson i think pierce meagles good uh i put him in the middle i think you know they they, they play their role uh, and it really depends on how much we utilize them josh i know you like to joke about passing to the tight end all the time it really depends on how much we use them with this offense if we run some play action if we let our quarterback roll out i think they can be better uh, I think they can be very useful besides just run blocking. So I kind of put them in the middle. You know, I think that's where. Let it, me let me
1: ask you a question. Who was the tight end here when Mike De- Desermo was the quarterback? Do you remember? Yeah, Kevin Belton. Uh, he was one.
2: Um, there was another one. You had uh, Eric Jones. Kevin Belton, Eric Jones. I'm uh, tr- tr- trying to think who else. Oh, yeah, of course, Ladarius Green. Yeah, Pee Wee. His yeah, Pee Wee. So
1: if you have any question in your mind, whether we're going to utilize the tight end, let that question go to bed. We're using the tight end. Finally. It, it yep. is so ridiculous. How often we have wasted opportunities in the middle of the field drives me insane. Go ahead. No. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll
2: see. Uh, and I'm sure I'm like, you know, I think coach dez is going to want to open up the playbook a little bit. So hopefully they utilize them. Cause if they do, that's more weaponry you add to the arsenal. So, uh, at number four, I put linebackers. I think our linebackers are going to be great this year. You got guys like Chris Moncrief coming back, Jordan Quibido. I mean, those names are very familiar names that we all know and love. And they're fast. They're fast, fast guys. They'll be able to read, have good reads on on the offensive schemes, and and they'll be the they'll kind of be the backbone of our defense. I think outside of the secondary. So, looking forward to seeing what they can do. Special teams, look, man, our boy Reese. He's, he's one of the best punters in the country. I think we're going to find some fast return guys on kickoff return and punt return. I have no problem there, uh, whether it's Eric Garar or whoever. We're going to Michael find
1: some – Michael Orphy Jr. Remember okay. you heard it. Remember yeah. you heard it. I'm telling you that, guys. You've got player. options. You've got
2: options there. So we're going to have some good return specialists. And, of course, I think Kim, Kenny Almondaris, hopefully he comes back this year. If he could come back and you have a combo between him and uh, Reese, uh, I think our special teams are going to be great. I put defensive backs at number two. Like I said, it was a flip of a coin. I like what I see. We're going to be deep, probably one of the deepest we've ever been. Um, I think losing Makai Gardner kind of hurt us a little bit there, but then you've got guys like Trey Amos coming in to replace him. So I like the fact that um, we have him. Braylon Trawhan's coming back, Camp Ladesco. I mean, Eric Guerrero, I mean, you've got guys that have played, that have worn this uniform. It seems like they've been here forever. So they add a lot of depth there. Uh, The reason why I put receivers at number one, I mean, I'm just going to name these guys, Peter LeBlanc, Michael Jefferson, Golden A.K., Errol Rogers, John Stevens, Dante Fleming. We're loaded. We're loaded. I think the wide receiving core this year is going to be, they really are going to be the backbone of this offense as the quarterback and running back position and offensive line positions try to develop they're going to be your go-to. I mean, in South, against Southeastern, they're going to be the ones that are going to be the most dependable, hopefully, to, uh, to get in the end zone. I just think we have so much veteran talent there um, that, to me, it was almost by default they, they were number one. I mean, I, I just – there's so much depth at that position. And one thing that I look forward to is if we have whoever the quarterback is, I hope that he can throw the ball well because there's going to be a lot of weaponry to choose from in that receiving core. So I put the receivers at number one, same reason you put the DBs at number one, Josh, I just think the depth's there. But again, I think both of those positions, those are definitely the top two units by far uh, in my opinion, as far as uh, depth and talent goes. So that's my top, that's my list right there. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Um, You know, it took me about 10, 15 minutes to put it together. I just wanted to kind of uh, give my input as well. But uh, Oh, that's
1: good. I, I, I think that there's an explanation that can be made for every single one of your selections, but Nick is going to set us straight.
0: <laughs> um, but one and two, same as you guys. Uh, you can flip them back and forth however you want, but wide receivers were so doggone deep there with so much talent. Defensive backs the same. The only thing that kind of scares me a little bit is Amos got uh, a little bit banged up during, during the, the last couple of weeks. So can he stay healthy this year? Uh, But I I expect those two to be our our two best units. I do have tight ends at number three because of the fact that you alluded to it, Josh, and and Phil Steele said it. Dez has said he wants to run a lot of two tight end sets. And I'm okay with that because I'm a big tight end fan. And and you know, the more the merrier that that get to put their hands on the ball. So I look forward to seeing what that unit can do this season. Lumpkin, Meagle, Johnson. I mean, there's a lot of talent in the tight end. So uh look forward to seeing seeing some more production. Out of them defensive line, I put right in the middle, just because like you said, Jerry, I'm a little bit worried about uh, the attrition that we had. But we do have Zion, who who you I agree with you, Josh. He is he is one of the best, if not the best in the conference. Kendall Wilkerson Jones has has experience. So I don't put them in the middle because I think they're going to do badly. I just I want to see what they can do after losing uh, some of their top talent last season and then uh, seven, eight, nine. Um, again, unproven, not saying that they're not going to be good. I think the offensive line and running back positions will both and the quarterback will all three will grow as the season progresses. And we need to be patient with them. And I'm glad we have uh, a back loaded schedule this season because those those first few games will really be a test to all of those units to see where they are and where they need to be and kind of work out some of the kinks and maybe get guys in the right positions. So, um, you know, without going into any further depth or detail, I think it's just as you said, Jerry. Seven, eight, nine are there because they're unproven. We don't know what to expect with them this season. But I'm going to keep all of these rankings, and we'll look at it at the end of the season and see uh, see who who is the most accurate. You know, we'll, we'll see what what each each position group does, and and we'll review it at the end of the season. And I think it'll be fun to look back
1: at. So obviously, wide receivers and def- defensive backs, we're all pretty close on that tight ends and we'll see t- tight ends and special teams are basically the same for all of us. I have more faith in the defensive line than Jerry. Uh, Nick is not all too that all too far. This is one thing. Nick and I have the linebackers pretty far down our list and Jerry's got them at four. This is the thing about the linebackers. I think Chris Moncrief is a star in the making. Love Chris Moncrief. I think Quibido is, again, he's like Braylon. Funny enough, they both went to and High. They're they're both that senior leader that knows the signals. They know the calls. They know where to be. They don't have to think. They just go out and attack. I love that. Is Jordan Quibido as physically talented as a Moncrief or some guys behind him? Like Tyler Gidry is a freak. He's fast. He hits hard. I think he's going to get a lot of PT this year. I think Quibido having Quibito, that that there is no other luxury like experience. I love the fact that they're in the middle. He's in the middle. He's you know he's not an outside linebacker that's just going to make plays on out you know out in space or everything. He's going to literally be on the field making the calls for you. He's Farad Gardner. He's McCaskill. You know what I mean? And look, McCaskill a huge loss, and I wish he would have stayed another year, but. That's the kind of leadership and the kind of experience that you want to bring back every year. Jordan Quibido, he play. He's had plenty of reps. He's had plenty of game experience. He's played in big, 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 big games and big, big, big moments. It's imperative that he's back on the squad. I think he makes that entire linebacker group. Um, he, he he make he gives them the confidence that they need to just go out and play. Not necessarily have to be robotic and remember the the calls. And there's going to be some of that because there's going to be some you know, Tyler Gidry is one of those guys that got plenty of snaps, but when it's all on you, all right, there's a difference between being a worker B and a manager B when you're the manager B, you see things totally differently. And I think when Tyler starts to play more and the bright lights are on him, you know, there's always that opportunity for you to freak out a little bit, having Quibito, a calming presence on the field in that, you know, on that defense. I think that's a big deal. However, there are question marks. There are question marks. The talent is there, no doubt about it. But there are question marks. And the reason why I'm so bullish on the defensive line, I mean, guys like Mason Narcisse is one of the best recruits that we got in that. It, I think that was 20 in the spring of 21. Jerry, maybe I'm wrong on that, but he was one of the most sought-after defensive linemen in the state. He was a top 50 recruit. We got him. There were there's there's no there was a reason why he was so highly thought of. I mean, he's got a motor. He's athletic, he's quick, big, physical, all the stuff. He's raw, and that's okay. We can use raw, okay? But you got Sonny Hazard coming back. You know, the Jes- Jesuit grad, you know, shout out to Boomer. You know, Je- hey, Jesuit and me Grant, too, man. And sh- Yeah, shout out to Jerry too, I guess. Um, but that guy was – he was very effective in games when he played early in his career, and he got hurt and people kind of forgot about him. hes He's healthy again. He's coming back. He's going to wreak havoc. Okay, he's a problem. You got Zion Hills in the best shape of his life. He's the healthiest he's ever been in his life. He's going to be an issue. Kendall Wilkerson was a big-time recruit for us. We haven't seen him play a lot. Another guy that's been banged up. Everything coming out of camp is that Kendall Wilkerson is finally healthy, and he's getting after it. You put him alongside... Uh, so And also, we're not even talking about Andre Jones, who's coming into his own. He's poised to have a gigantic season. He's also a guy large, lean, defensive end. He can, I mean, look, if he's not going to get to the quarterback, one of my favorite things that 10 does is he puts the hands up in the air. He knocks the ball down. That You can't teach that. That is, that is it's instinct. It's, it's just knowing what to do, what to do when you're in the position to do it. I think the defensive line is going to shape. And, and also, I think if you're looking at offense and defense and who is going to be more reliable, I think this year you got to lean defense. Again, we lost some guys in the middle, but I think overall, all right, when you have a ton of confidence in the back end and you don't feel like you're going to get burnt every time you they snap the ball, especially against passing teams, you know, Daigie just signed with Troy. You got Coastal who's going to try to sling it. We don't play them. We may play them in the Sunbelt Championship game. But just to say, guys, that want to sling it. Texas State is going to try to sling it. McBride's going to try to sling it. When we play teams like that, when you don't have to worry about getting beat up over the top, you can go attack the quarterback. And I think that the defensive line is going to set the tone for an attacking-style aggressive defense. And I'm telling you right now, Lamar Morgan knows how to use a good aggressive physical secondary. I got no qualms. I got no worries about that. Jerry, what do
2: you think? Well, I think the main thing about the defensive line, the only reason why I ranked them at six was the fact that they like to rotate in and out. They like to rotate a lot of guys. They like to play a lot of guys. Uh, I'm sure Billy kind of used that from the Saban model at Alabama because if you notice, they've got – I mean. (laughs) their their third string unit could start for anybody but that's the only thing that really concerned me of why i ranked them so low because like the like the offensive line um you know the starters are great They're, they're great but if they start rotating behind them can they step up that's the one thing that concerns me uh i don't think it's because like i said earlier it's not because i don't think they're i don't think they're bad players i don't think they're you know, they're, they're not worthy enough. I just think that there's a lot of inexperience there. So if we're going to be rotating guys in and out, like we usually do with our defensive line, um, there's just a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of things that are unproven right now. So, I mean, I I think um, as a whole, one name I wanted to mention was uh, Brandon Bishop transfer from Alabama. Uh, He's going to be stepping into the role. uh, I think as an outside linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. That's gonna be huge. I mean, look, he's a guy that <laughs> you know, Alabama doesn't recruit a bunch of chumps, right? And this dude's coming in and he's gonna be a starter. I think he's gonna kind of fill that void and uh, void of some of the guys we lost last year. Uh, cause we did we lost a few all Sunbelt guys at the linebacking core. I just think the linebacking core has enough depth and enough experience from the guys that played um the backup last year that rotated in who can step into that role of what they did last season. So that's why I have the linebackers a little bit higher. Um, But I think the defensive line, again, that just has to me, it's not necessarily the starters, but more of the backups when they rotate them in or whether or not they can step up and,
0: and, and play. Uh, Not really an explanation, but just the fact that after I ranked the bottom three, it's like one through six Outside of the wide receivers and defensive backs, I was just I I can't tell you how many times three to six I kind of moved them around because I think that they're all going to be solid units this season. I just don't know where to put them on the list. Cause I, I just I mean, if I could put uh tied for four special teams defensive line linebackers, I I would have done that. But uh, but I had to rank them somewhere. I agree a little bit of what Jerry said, but I expect Look, I'm with you, Josh. I think the defense is going to set the tone this season, especially early in the season when we're trying to figure out what we're doing on offense and, and what the right puzzle pieces are there. But um, Jerry, you said, you know, you thought uh, swapping out players might be a, a drawback of, for for the defense this season. I'll, I'm looking the other way. I'm like, play as many guys as you can because I tell you what, when we get to the fourth quarter, we're going to run any other team. If we do like we did last season, we're going to run off the field because we got the depth and we've got fresh legs and those guys are gasping for air. And we got guys who, uh, you know, who are swapping out, uh twos and threes, you know, in the at the beginning of the game, and our ones are still in. So um, so yeah, it was it was tough between that four and that six to figure out what to do there. Uh, but but I agree with you, Josh. If if I could put the defensive line up, I'd probably move them right now because you got me fired up listening to you talk about it.
1: Yeah, I am fired up. I think we got a ton of talent. And look, it's kind of the story of the entire team, right? We've got talent. And and, and I'm not saying that the two and three deep is not capable. That's I, I hope nobody thinks I'm saying that. The only reason why I ranked these groups the way that I ranked them is because of the gigantic red question mark. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying, show me. Jerry Jerry said it beautifully. It's perfect. Show me what you can do. I know, uh, Mason Narcisse, that you have talent coming out of your ears. I know it. Show me what you can do. When you get the opportunity against Southeastern or Eastern Michigan on the NFL Network, by the way, how weird is that? Uh, but anyway, go out and show it to me. I got to see it. I, that's the only reason I want to put the defensive line number one. Mason Narcisse is going to make me do it. Kendra Wilkerson is going to make me do it. Sonny Hazard coming back healthy is going to make me do it. Th- this is this is what I'm talking about. But I still feel very bullish about the defensive line. And then of course, look, you guys mentioned the tight ends. I know we kind of going back and forth. I'm telling you guys, Neil Johnson is always open. And I and I'm not saying that just because I know his dad listens to us. All right, I swear to God. <laughs> And by the way, we really appreciate it. Okay, but seriously, when he's on the field, he's open too fast for linebackers, too big for cornerbacks, too big. Throw him a 50 50 ball. You know, John Stevens is gigantic and and Jefferson is gigantic and and we want to throw 50 50 balls. And I and I I I think Mike's going to give him the opportunities. I think Neil, I think I think Lumpkin is poised, man. If they if they attack the outside with the run game like Cabote does, if you ever watch Cabote run, especially in practice, he loves to bounce it outside. If we can get those linebackers looking outside, looking outside, and then hit him over the middle with Pierce or hit him over the middle with Johnny Lumpkin or, or do a flex route with, with Neil Johnson, who's always open, by the way, I'm just going to continue to say he's always open. Throw him the ball. Throw him the ball. I thought Jerry was gonna make fun of me. That's why. (laughs) Well, I
2: mean, you just—you've been saying throw to the tight end. I've become numb to it by now. You've been saying it for years. Um, So, yeah, I'm—I'm with you. I think. Look, again, you throw to the tight end. You add weaponry to your arsenal. So, we've uh, got—we've got quarterbacks who can do it. (laughs) So, there's no question. I'm sure they're gonna go to the tight end. But also, you—you—you—you give your the thing that what's important about throwing to the tight end this year to me is you give you give you give your running backs and receivers room to breathe, right? Receivers have a lot to prove. I mean, I'm sorry, the running backs have a lot to prove. The receivers are are deep, but, I mean, you're going to have defenses kind of gunning for them because they know that they're deep. So I think if you're trying to establish a run game, I think throwing to the tight end kind of loosens them up a little bit. So we have the guys to throw to. And look, one name that we haven't really mentioned much is Pierce Meagle. He's coming back too. I think Pierce is going to be another guy that's going to be someone that can catch some good passes in the flat. He's done it a few times with Levi. Lee, I mean, he was one of Levi's favorite targets in the red zone. So, yeah, I'm with you on this one, Josh. Throw it to the tight end. But throw it to the tight end because it opens everything
0: else up.
1: Nick, do you have any comments on the tight end? Or Man, as we I, call it here at Louisiana, tight friends you?
0: <laughs> I got I got him ranked at number three. So I'm I'm pumped up about the tight ends. In fact, I had the de- defensive line. Look, I kept my special teams at four because, you know, that's – I got a man crush on my boy, on my boy, uh, my boy Reese. But, uh, you know, I so I kept them at four. But defensive line tight ends, I just swapped those back and forth about three times. I think they're both tied for three on my list. Um, I'm with you. I love I love when they throw to the tight ends. It makes me happy.
1: It's so weird that Billy Napier is the greatest coach ever. And look, I'm not throwing shade on Billy, but I I don't want to talk about him very much. But I will say this for being such a great coach. I. That Nick Saban-Eyed was on purpose, by the way. For being such a great coach, what, we, we never threw it to the tight end. I never. You realize that the Patriots won multiple Super Bowls just throwing it to the, the tight end. Now, one of them was a murderer, and the other guy was just a meathead, but it doesn't really matter. They, they caught the football, and they won multiple Super Bowls throwing it to the tight end. Name one wide receiver off of those Super Bowl teams. You can't. R- Randy Moss. Dion Branch. The guy's guy like, Julian, he's running out a
2: car wash. Julian Edelman.
1: I Julian Edelman. West, West Welker. At Kent. Kent State. I don't even know what their name is. That's how That's how irrelevant. Think about that. They won Super Bowls with these tight ends. Unbelievable. Anyway, utilize the tight end. That's all I'm trying to say, Mike. That's it. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Kyle Brister, a longtime 1420 listener. He's been a, a, a big supporter of us. Lately, I want to tell him welcome and thanks for joining. Uh, the comments are very much appreciated. Please continue to to uh, engage. That's that's kind of what we're doing this for. But he agrees. Use the tight end.
2: <laughs> See, what Kyle agrees with you, dude, you, you're golden. You're in, man. You're Kyle, in. Kyle wants to throw the tight end, too. So that, that's
1: – Josh, wait till Josh he, you're,
2: you're on the roll right
1: now. Wait until he finds out that there's actually a, a phone number that you can call to get into the show. That's going to be <laughs> – That's going to be the real test. He's going to
2: say throw to the tight end, right?
1: The coaches are also a lot of unknowns. Is there a particular coach, if we were to rank them, we don't even have to rank them. Just give me three being the weakest, one being the best, obviously the strongest. I I would say that I I have the most confidence in Lamar because, first of all, the pedigree. He's been here. He's been part of good secondaries at UL. I think that he's seen uh, the mountaintop at the SEC, even though it was with Vanderbilt. Okay, I think that he's been involved – with high-level football, elite football, I have the most confidence for him to um, have success immediately. Uh, Number two, I would say George Munoz because, look, bottom line is the guy won a national championship. He was was part and parcel to probably the greatest quarterback season in our lifetimes, if not in history, with Burrow and what they were able to do. And then number three, Mike. I love Mike. I like him as a person. I think he's going to be successful in anything he does, but I think that hes he was the man made for this job. I know a lot of people had a lot of question marks about him getting the position. They wanted to splash higher. Um, I, I just don't think that. I don't see it that way. I think that if Mike works here, he's not going to be a stepping stone type guy. I think Mike can take us to the top 15 again, and he stays. Imagine that. A guy that will take us to the, to the mountaintop, and doesn't want to get another job. I think he wants to stay here. I think he wants to make UL the best it can be. So that's my three of coaches. If you guys want to input, that's cool. I just wanted to say that.
0: No, mm. I like that. I, I agree with you on yeah. on um, on Des especially. Uh, he's a he's a he's a robe. He's a football robe man. He's he's this is his job and he's beautifully here beautifully put. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you on Munoz, Morgan. I would just throw, um, Matt Bajeron, Bergeron, as you said, however you, however you pronounce it, I think he's going to be up there. So maybe three A and three B would be Dez and Bajeron, but, uh, but yeah, you you hit the nail on the head.
2: Yeah. I probably flip the roles of Lamar Morgan and Munoz. I would probably put Munoz as number one, only because not only has he won a national championship, but he's, He's also been an offensive coordinator. He's been a quarterback coach. He's been a play caller. He's kind of, I think the experience has kind of gotten a little bit, he just has a little bit more experience as a whole. Uh, one, one thing I like about Lamar, Lamar was a leader when he played here. He was a leader when he played here, when I was a student here and you saw it on the field. He was very vocal players kind of rallied around him. Um, and one thing I like about him is that he also, he coached here in 2020. He he was he coached the secondary in the, here in 2020, so he knows the culture not only as a player, but he knew the culture under Billy as well. Left here to go to Vanderbilt, and regardless of if it's Vanderbilt or not, it's the SEC. An SEC team called you to go take a job, and now he's back. So he kind of knows the culture that everybody was worried about with Billy being gone. Everybody's like, well, you know, now that Billy's gone, how's Mike going to handle it? Well, that's why Mike was hired because Mike was hired to continue what he learned from Billy and Lamar was on that staff. So he knows there's nothing he, there's no learning curve for him. So I give him, I give him um, kudos for that. Uh, I'd say it probably, I'd say either, I'd say you say three a and three B Nick. I'd probably say Mike three, a I'd say Tim Leger three B. Um, of course, Tim's a local guy, just like Mike. He knows the area. Well, he recruits well, he has experience. Players seem to rally around him and they respond to him. Uh, I think with Mike, what makes Mike, I think what what makes, what makes him, how can I describe this? What makes it special for Mike is not only was he a former player, but he's always said it, and it kind of sticks, is that it's personal with him. A guy who grew up in New Iberia, played a Catholic high, came to UL when UL really wasn't what it is today. Uh, he was there during the climb, uh, I want to say he had committed here in Bustle's third season when the team was still trying, the program was still trying to find an identity. Right. And then he kind of brought a spark to that offense and he worked hard regardless of how good or how bad we were at the time. Right. And he got to experience the HUD era. He got to experience that original era where we really started to see consistent winning and people forget, look, he was the interim coach when Hud when when Hud was relieved of his duties. He was the interim coach before Billy got the job. So obviously there was enough trust in him back in twenty eighteen before or twenty seventeen before Billy got the job. So I think I know a lot of people. They look at his resume and go, "Well, he you know he didn't go to a big school. He didn't travel out to different places, but." He has enough experience here. He under, he knows the system here. He's very studious. I mean, I think the guy was a 4-0 student when he was a student athlete at UL. He's a leader. Players rally around him. So I, I don't know, man. I, I really have a lot of faith in the man. I really think he's going to get it done, and I like his staff. He brought a lot of guys back here who you know, were here when we didn't have all of the success. You know, George Minos came in 08. He was a younger coach. Another one who was part of the climb, Brad Bustle. Forgot about Brad Bussell as an analyst. You know, his dad was the one that kind of laid the foundation for actually having standards at the program. He's come back. So it's cool to see guys like that. And, of course, of course, Lamar. It's cool to see guys like that come back who at one time grinded to have a a, a certain level of respect for the program and to come back here now and kind of see the program come full circle That's what I'm looking forward to from this coaching staff, especially those who are here when we didn't have all of the things we have now including success that's what i'm also, looking forward to
0: also jerry, jerry. shout out to uh, parker argeron on the on the staff this year making his dad our official mascot apparently <laughs> that's, that's awesome cajun, though we don't have cajun man so we just got o oh, hanging on the sideline this season i guess that's going to be our mascot
2: <laughs> and you know what say what you want about coach o coach o's a personable guy he's a good old boy from south louisiana man from lafouche parish and and that's the thing that I, that i think you know kind of attracts people to him is that he is that personable guy. He doesn't come off as someone who's, who doesn't have time to talk to you because he's too good for you. You know, if you talk football with him, he seems like one of those guys, like, like kind of like coach Robe used to be right. You mentioned one thing to coach Robe about the game of baseball. He'll talk, he used to talk, talk to you for 30 minutes to an hour uh, when he was supposed to get to practice. At least I was guilty of it after some of the diamond club meetings, but that's kind of the kind of, that's sort of the person that coach O comes off as is a very personable guy who, uh, if you talk football with him, he'll sit there and talk, talk your head off for hours. So I'm look, don't get me wrong. I, I, I thought it was hilarious that he was at practice, but I'm glad he's coming around. I, I am. I'm glad he's coming around. Just don't, you know, just, just, in, just enjoy the scenery. Right. Just let the coaches do their thing. Don't get too involved. Right. We don't want, we don't want that purple and gold stench. No, I kid, I kid. I joke. I, joke.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't want to smell that ch- I, stuff. <laughs> with it. Yep. Thank you very much. Um. Yeah. So, you mentioned Bazeron, Bergeron, however they say. I think it's like the northern parishes is Bergeron. The southern parishes are Bazeron. I Wait, think that's correct.
0: You, you in my territory, you a Bazeron if you in Lafayette. Listen, you a Bajoran. No, you ain't a train man. You a Trahon. No, yeah. They don't know how exactly. to say their
1: name. They don't know how to say their name. <laughs> Listen, can you believe so – anyway, he was named one of the top 30 coaches under 30. So that tells you, and I think that was by PFF. I'm not 100% on the source, but it was a prestigious list that he was on. Um, So I thought that he was one of the biggest retentions that we had, and I was thrilled that he stayed. So thanks for staying, Coach. But can you believe that I actually got into an argument with somebody on Raging Pajan? That bustle didn't set the new standard.
0: Stop, stop. You actually got into an argument with somebody in Raging Page and I know sh-
1: it's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe. Breaking
0: news. Breaking wow. news. I can't imagine. Not the presses.
1: <laughs> Those people are stupid. All right.
2: <laughs> hey, I post there, man. I'm oh. not stupid.
1: Uh, debatable. Anyway. I kid. I kid. <laughs> moving right along. But he, so here's the thing: is like Bustle did kind of set the standard. We were recruiting the butler buildings and feeding them bologna sandwiches. Bustle said, this is yeah, not, no this money. is not, it's not okay. We, we got to go out and we got to find money. We got to raise money. We got these Butler buildings. are not, they're not, they're not cutting it. Like we got to do something here. It started there. It started there. Okay. So anyway, I just thought that was funny. Not only but, that, let's talk about those Butler
0: buildings. We had an unveiling and pictures taken and a press conference to unveil a, a freaking Butler building. That's trailers. how things yeah. were. You forgot how bad it was during yeah. the era before him whose coach's name I will not name because he doesn't deserve the airtime. Thank you. He, he it was a it was a dumpster fire that he inherited and he made us respectable. So, yes. he will forever be thanked for that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing is too is, you know, there were some years that that had some exciting football. We just couldn't get over the hump. Whether it was lack of resources, lack of money, just we were maybe missing one or two players to fill that void. I, look, I, I think with Coach Bustle and his staff, I, look, it was year nine, okay? He got to year nine. He did He did all he could at that point, right? After a while, you know, in the coaching world, you get about five or six years most to really do something. And by the time year nine rolls around, it's just you, you've you maxed out what you can do. And I think that's where it was. It, and look, when, when Coach Bustle left, I said the same thing. Look, he didn't win at the level that I'm sure he wanted to, you know, winning eight or nine games. But what he did was he set a foundation. He actually gave us a standard because before him, we were happy to win three games. He shows up, we win six games. Six games was, I mean, that's bowl eligibility. Just the fact that we were bowl eligible was a big deal. And then, of course, HUD- He reminded
1: reminded us very often that that was a big deal.
2: Yeah, (laughs) and of course, you know, HUD came in, brought us to a bowl, won a few bowl games, and then after that, Billy just, I mean, we- yeah, where we are now, but but you have to you have to have a starting point. I think Coach bustle gave us that starting point back in the. I missed
0: Coach bustle's family four-pack commercials they had for McDonald's on TV. Those, were the- <laughs> <laughs> you remember those? <laughs> oh, man. those were nobody can outdo those. Those were the absolute best.
1: Best uh, part of his tenure. Right? Kyle said it best. He said, "Hud knew who's asked, he knew who's asked to kiss to get the big money, or something else. I don't know what they were doing uh, back there, but hey, look, something hey, going gotta- on."
2: <laughs> Let me tell you, man, one thing I've learned about coaches, especially at the G5 level, is you do have to fundraise. And I think I remember in the beginning of Coach Bustle's era back in like 0203, there was a really big push to do that, to get fans back involved and be like, look, our football program does actually exist. You know, so let's do something with it. And I think after a while, uh, you can only do so much fundraising when it interferes with your job. And I think that's one thing that HUD did when he got here was look, we've seen the potential here. He talked about it. We, you know we had the ticking time bomb. That's what he said in his opening press conference. I'll never forget it. They all tell us Louisiana has been a ticking time bomb for however long. He said, we're here to light the fuse. And he did. I remember that spring when, when HUD first got here with some of the players in the indoor facility, they're running doing sprints or something. Uh, for spring football and they all had a shirt that said light the fuse and he did but you, again you got to have a starting point you got to start somewhere
1: i totally agree and uh, uh don't start talking about fundraising because you're gonna piss me off and i'm gonna start talking about men's basketball and then it's gonna be totally derailed jerry so let's stay to football you brought it up not me I'm, no I'm i didn't not- bring it up
2: you just said, you said the words just now. I didn't say anything about that. I didn't say it had nothing to do with that.
1: Moving right along. Please, please. Speaking of lighting the fuse and getting the fan base excited. Okay. We have obviously been excited for the football season. We, I mean, look, it, when, especially when you in the baseball season, the way we did, it kind of starts to roll in to football. I mean, it does for me, I, that excitement level never really leaves. You're, you're, you're kind of fired up for the athletic season to start. I don't understand. Uh, So anyway, let me, I'll preface it with this. We have reached out. I have reached out to two people at the executive level, level, two people at the administrator level, and one person that's just kind of around the complex a lot. And nobody can get a straight answer. But I was able to go back and see where ticket sales were at this time last year, and it was just under 6,000 tickets. And the answer that we were given was... Ticket sales are flat. And mum has been the word, okay? Nobody wants to talk about it, so I I tend to believe that that's true. Um, Now, look, obviously, I haven't seen hardcore data. Please don't, all right? (laughs) Ticket sales are flat, and that's at the very top level of the RCAF, okay? That's executive level RCAF, so it's legit. Why can't we sell tickets to a top 25 program a local son that just got hired. Success coming out of out of the wazoo as far as football is concerned, more than we've ever seen. We've we've rebounded from COVID. Things have kind of gotten back to normal mostly. We've got a decent schedule this year. We've got what was it? Five is it five home Saturday games and one Thursday for the six, so six home games yeah. and five Saturday we games?
2: Have five home games on Saturday. We used to complain about having all these midweek games. We got five of them this so year.
1: So it's not an issue, okay? No. And look, understand that there, there are not a ton of super attractive out of conference games. I get that, and that's part of it. And understand what are we missing here? Why, where are we falling short? And and I, I know what I think, but I'm gonna let you guys get it started.
0: Nick, you want to go? Yeah, I'll I'll start. I'll I'll start by saying first, I made one I was lucky enough to make a couple of trips. One, two. I think it was two trips to Hattiesburg, Mississippi before USM was ever in the conversation for being in the Sunbelt. And when I went to Hattiesburg, it was in the spring, and spring sports were in in full force, and I got to watch some baseball games out there. And everywhere I turned, there was something USM. There were businesses that had black and gold colors. There were billboards all over the city. There was US, like literally everything you turned around to, and they had this one long highway that runs down the the heart of the city, every single business or or billboard or anything, it was USM related. And I go to Lafayette and I see some cute little flags on Cajun Boulevard, I think, and, and a couple different places. But we just came off of the best season in the history of the football program. Arguably one of the best seasons in the history of our athletics program. And after it was done, it was like radio silence, and after the the football – like we finished 16th in the country, and you would have thought that there would have been this big, huge push to con- start contacting donors and making it public and putting things everywhere about the culture and the one and only and Cajuns. To me, that was a great marketing uh, – you know, great marketing back in the day that That's, you haven't heard of. The we best we've ever had.
1: Absolutely. So
0: so there is. It, it was just a missed opportunity, and now – I equate it to being a politician who's been in politics for 40 years and still gets reelected. Do you think that politician just sits back and says, well, people are going to vote for me. I'm not going to do anything because, you know, they, they see what I do and they're going to they've always voted for me. They're going to vote for me again. Or every time that they're up for election, are they knocking on doors and handing out flyers and asking people that they know are going to vote for him? Hey, vote for me again. By the way, get one of your friends to vote for me. And I think that's what's missing is that we're not looking at it in terms of we're up for re-election every year, and we got to ask the people that come, hey, you come, and also get more people to come. So it, it's just, and I think someone on one of the message boards alluded to it too. Why is it so quiet? Why is it there a big push? Is it because we lost all of our coaches in football, and now we're trying to figure out where we go from here? Is it is it uh, you know attrition from the administration is it a lack of funding are we are we too focused I I wouldn't say too focused on the on the stadium renovation but is all of our attention going that and not about season tickets there are a lot of questions out there but I feel like again when I went to Hattiesburg there was such a presence and ownership by the community for athletics and the university itself and I just don't feel that when I go back home to Lafayette you know living in Houston I haven't seen one thing about the University of Houston anywhere in the entire city. And this is a city of three million people. So I kind of equate it to that. It's just like, I don't know if empathy is set in. I don't know if people are just like, oh, I'm just going to watch them on TV and that'll be good. I don't know if it's a streaming generation, but USM's doing it and they're right down the street. And I got to tell you, there's a lot less culture in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, God, if somebody from there is watching, please don't kill me for that. But then in Lafayette, Louisiana, where we we're we're, you know, entrenched in culture, that is what defines us. So it's just disappointing. It feels like there's not buy-in from the community. Um, and and it doesn't feel like the administration is is acting like that that you know politician that's looking for re-election and saying, Hey, I know you voted for me last time, do it again and tell your friends to do it. So I think it's a combination of things, but it's disappointing. I wish I wish when I go home from Houston and, and I pull off in, in Scott, which is right there, I want to see Raging Cajun stuff. I want to see the one and only Raging Cajuns, and I, I don't see it anymore. I saw it for a little bit during HUD, but it's gone away, and I don't know how we get it back. I think the marketing
2: effort's been kind of lax. Um, when you have you know, the three most successful seasons back-to-back-to-back to – back to back, Two of those three seasons, you finished in the top twenty-five. You're the best team in the state the last two years. You have to have it twice
1: for the people across the bridge.
2: Well, look, you can't just allow that by itself to market, you know, especially at the G five level. You know, SEC teams, teams in the Big Ten, teams in the Big Twelve, by default, because of who you are and who you play, you're going to get fans that that you're going to attract. With us, it's a little bit different. Now the Sun Belt's created an identity for itself. It's gotten better, but you still need to have sort of that marketing ploy to push fans to buy tickets, and you got to have an, an outreach. You got to reach out to people in this 50-mile radius. You know, what, not even in, just in Lafayette. Go go to Franklin. Go to Jenner Ed, Go to Opelousas. Go to Jennings. Go to, you know, different parts of Acadiana and go market UL football. Go get fans to buy tickets. That's important. Also, too we have a habit and this isn't the administration, but when it comes to our football stadium, we're the largest stadium in seating capacity in the Sunbelt. We have over 40,000 seats. We never sell out. So there's no demand to go buy season tickets because to the ordinary fan, whether you're in Lafayette or Houston or new Orleans or anywhere, you you don't have to buy season tickets because you know, you're not going to sell out. So how do we get most of our attendance on a game day? Even when we have over 25,000 people, they're walk-ups we have walk-ups. So That's another thing. That's another reason why. And I think attendance is going to be better this year. I think we'll be fine with attendance, but I think that's why the number's kind of low. You're having a lot of people coming to games where they realize, why should I buy a season ticket package? Especially if I don't know if I can make all the games. I'll just go pay 25 bucks when I go to the Cajun Dome that morning before I go tailgate and go buy two tickets. I think you have a lot of those. But that doesn't take away the fact that I still think there needs to be a marketing push for season tickets. I still think there needs to be a push to reach out to a, an untapped mar, uh, market or audience that I don't think we've really reached out to, even within the 50-mile radius that live in Lafayette. Uh, third thing I think is streaming, ESPN+. Plus. I mean, look, you look at Tiger Stadium last year, even across the basin, yeah, they'll say they had 80 or 90,000 people, but then you look at the upper deck, it's as empty as it's ever been. And it's probably part of it's a little bit of apathy at the fact that the team wasn't winning, but usually even when the team was losing over there, they sold out. And I think that's kind of an, it's kind of indicative to what you're seeing now in streaming, even in the, some of the like Alabama and some of these other places. Unless a big top five team comes in, most of the time you look at their upper decks, they're pretty they're pretty sparse. So I think you kind of have that problem across the country. You're seeing more and more of that. I mean, look, I can literally sit on my couch and watch the game from my phone. Not many people want to drive hours and spend all this crazy amounts of money to do that now. That again, there's no excuse for not being able to sell more than however many season tickets we've sold so far. But I do think the streaming side of it has kind of dipped attendance in many ways. You're starting to see that around the country, not just with us. But again, you have, you have to go reach out to an audience. You have to go reach out to people that, ha- that feel that they haven't been contacted. I mean, a lot of times I've heard stories when we fundraise, you have somebody that gives a donation and we'll ask, well, where have you been? And then they'll say, well, nobody ever called me. Nobody ever reached out to me. You know, we have to reach. I think sometimes we do have to put forth that effort. And we talk about HUD. That's what made HUD so great. Every single Saturday, he said, I want Cajun Field to be packed. I want it to be the most dangerous place in all of America. When the community hears that, they give in. You make it the place to be. Like you said, Josh Lafayette is a place to be seen. And I think with stadium capacity being at over 40,000, with ticket demand being low, where people can just walk up, it was streaming. That's why we have the attendance problems we have now with the new stadium coming. I'm hoping that if we lower capacity a little bit, that there will be more of a demand. I've seen it. We saw it with baseball when baseball's winning, there were probably more people sitting outside the stadium than, than inside when we hosted the super regional. Why? Because people wanted to be there. So you got to give reason of, you got to give people a reason to want to be there, but you also have to reach out to them as well. You can't just expect them by default to come in. So like I said, I could talk about this all day, but those are just some of the reasons and observations that I saw from my point of view of why I think attendance is struggling right now, or at least season ticket efforts are struggling.
1: The baseball analogy is a good one, but it, it, it rolls right into what I've always told you when we talk about this. We have done a terrible job of showing and telling people the value of the ticket that they're purchasing. All right. When you rely on a walk-up crowd, you cannot measure that. You cannot measure a person sitting under a tent deciding on a whim, you know what, I think I'll go into the game now. And let's not even get into how they totally destroyed tailgating here. That's a whole other conversation. But I'm going to try my best to stay on topic. The streaming thing, yes, is part of it. I'll give you that. And people talk about that all the time, and I know that Brian's a little bit worried about it, and people in media around here talk about it. But here's the thing, okay? You cannot make me believe that Mark Hudspeth went out and sold almost 14,000 season tickets when he was winning in the Sun Belt. Not winning the league. Not beating top 25 teams on national television and not winning league championships at home. He didn't do any of that. He just won. He sold almost 14,000 season tickets in Lafayette, Louisiana. Billy Napier went and beat Iowa State. Now, granted, it was a COVID year, but he beat them. And when we got back to full capacity, he couldn't get 20,000 people. We are in the middle of August. We're past the middle of August. And we sold not 6,000 tickets. That ain't because of streaming, dude. That's because we have a skeleton staff in the administration, in the fundraising arm, in the promotional arm. We have hired all new creative. And I'm not saying they're doing a bad job. I'm saying it's all new. Who is manning the phones? Who is sending the emails? Who is going out into the community? This is a person-to-person community. Shake my hand and I'll listen to what you have to say, community. And say what you want about newspapers they are dying in the country. Totally understand that. But, but Papa and Mama and bro bridge are coming to your games when you put a coupon in the back of the freaking advertiser. It's true. This is, these are all data points that we have collected and they know it. If you go have a conversation with these guys in the administration, they'll tell you straight up. We know that it works, but they want to, they want to put all of their focus on social media Internet stuff, the blogs, what you know, blogosphere, fan boards, all the stuff, emails, and you need that, but it's not the wheel; it's a cog in the wheel. They have put too much emphasis on that. And what, what was the what was the number? Less than twenty percent of America is on Twitter. Less less than half of that in Louisiana is on Twitter. Less than half of the country, or less than half of Louisiana, is on Facebook. This is all out there. If you want to go read it, Patrick Crawford laid it all out when he got here. We spend too much time trying to, to promote a, a, um, a brand and, and a sport and a product on a free service when a lot of their customers and their donor base don't use it. But you know, Josh, to your point there, if we were in the
0: SEC or the Big 12 or whatever, sure. and we have kids who from the moment of birth to when they're in college have been fans of that program, then yes, that all works, but we're still trying after all this time to, to build that. And, and so you're marketing to people who aren't, who aren't
1: like you said, they're not not looking for you. They're not already looking for you. Our struggle is we got to go find them They are not already looking for us. That is the difference. That's why it doesn't work for a program like us. And when we stop doing the glad handing and the person-to-person lunches and, the, you know, like these kind of mock um, um, town hall type deals that HUD would do, when we stop doing that, we lost a big part of our fan base. That's why you can't sell season tickets. That's why... Four years ago, five years ago, when you're winning in the Sun Belt, well, it's probably six years now. When you're winning in the Sun Belt, before it was even really cool to win in the Sun Belt, you were selling fourteen thousand tickets, and now you're a top twenty-five program, and you can't get six thousand tickets for season sold. I mean, that's a gigantic problem. It doesn't even it, they don't even act like it's a problem. Well, well, where are we at with that?
2: And also, too, to your point about reaching out to 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 people, like I said earlier, Momo and poppa. Well, the difference is like you talk about the SEC when you're born into it, it's kind of like that with softball and baseball here, right? I mean, we're mid-majors and yet softball and baseball, we have one of the best atmospheres in America in both sports. Why? Because we have a legacy of tradition as decades and decades of winning decades and decades of success. And we've been, I mean, we've had success at the highest peak, you know, short of a national championship in each of those sports with football You had a good – I think with football, it's all about timing with us. It's a very unique situation where you had the four years of HUD, and then you had 2015 where you had a losing season. Then 2016, the wheels just fell off. Then you have to get the trust back of the fan base when Billy first gets here, and then Billy starts winning in 2019, and then COVID hits. And even last year, you saw some promise. I mean, three of those Saturday games, you had over 25,000 fans. Outside of the one Saturday game after Thanksgiving against ULM, there weren't many people, but it was cold and nobody really wanted to go because you had the yeah. But Jerry, that, that's that's
1: that's the that's perfect. It dovetails into the point. You're getting people to come to the stadium that are only doing it because they're either bored or they or they just you know it's just something to do. We're not attracting the right crowd. We're not we're not reaching the right donor. Well, we we it, have totally frozen out the small donor. The small donor does well, not matter here. I was going
2: to say that too. You have to reach out to the common folk. I mean, let's be honest. You can look, I love our donors. I love the fact that we have big time boosters who love this program and give a lot of money to this program, but they're very few. A lot of them sit in suites. A lot of them are not seen at the games because they're sitting in certain places. They're not the ones that make the stadium look full. It's the common folks that make the stadium look full. And, you know, I I mean, I say it all the time. You look at some of your craziest diehards, the most, some of the, the most annoying fans from certain schools. You know where they're sitting? They're sitting in the upper deck filling up those seats that make it look full on ESPN. I mean, I look, I used to have Saints season tickets. The loudest Saints fans in the dome are all sitting at the top. I mean, you can I used to look up and there were there's some rowdy people, but you know what they do? They make your venue look full. And I think that's what's important. Those are just common people that may not make a lot of money, they may not be filthy rich. But they're diehards, they're loyal fans, they're going to pay for their tickets, and they're going to show up to the games. And I think we – no, I agree with you, Josh. I think we do need to reach out to more of those type of fans because there's a lot of them around here. You know, not everybody's filthy rich around here, right? Not everybody lives in these nice neighborhoods in Lafayette. you got some people out there that live out in the country, live simple lives. They like football. They like sports. To me, that's the market you should be tapping. Because once they have a good time, you let them get a tailgate spot, and you let them cook their gumbo and cook their jambalaya and have a great time with their friends and have beer. They're gonna to want to come back. But for us with football, we don't have that long-lasting tradition like baseball and softball does, which sells itself. So you're gonna to have to find other ways to reach out. And part of that, in spite of the recent success, is going after just the common folk because they're the ones that put they put the they put their their rear ends in the seats, right?
0: Look, I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring up this this comment from Kyle. He says the town ought to be covered in billboards with the schedule asking if why not it asking if not, why not? Exactly. Like good point. No, Kyle's right. Why is it posted everywhere? Again, we're Edwin Edwards won. so many times as governor of louisiana not because he was edwin edwards he won because he got in the weeds he went he shook hands he kissed babies he again the same people who voted for him he did it again and again and again and got this come over and and what what example did i use the other day on this topic we talk about this all the time I, i use that exact
2: example with edwin edwards look yeah Some people can say he was he was a crook. Some people can say he was slimy. Some people can say he was a slick politician. Some people thought he's the greatest thing. But you know what? He tapped into an audience that, you know, as as glamorous as he was, you had a lot of ordinary people that felt that they they weren't cool enough to meet famous people. Right. Edwin Edwards reached out to that demographic. And those are the ones that felt like, wow, this guy's talking to me. I like him. I'm going to vote for him. He made, he, felt, he, made, he made even the poorest of the poor feel important. And so that's where I think for us, again, I mean, we should be tapping in to everybody, not just people that give money, not just people that are filthy rich. I think we should be tapping into people that can put behinds in the seats.
0: Now, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and again, it's not just about asking once and if somebody says no, then walk away or just asking and getting them on board and never talking to them again you got to ask every election year for them to vote for you again. And we seem to be missing out on that. We do it and then we stop and then we do it again. Then we stop. It's got to be consistent. People want that.
2: Well, and there's no doubt that if you, and especially around here in Lafayette, I mean, we're very proud of our culture. We're proud of our heritage. We're proud of who we are as Cajuns, but you know, you got to make it, you got to make, you got to make it eventful. Um, I'm, I think that, you know, when you, I think if you take somebody to a UL game and they have a, you, you want to make sure they have a good time, you know, another thing is too, is game day operations, right? You want everything to run clean. You don't want the lines taking a full quarter. You don't want to have the, the stalls backed up. You don't want the, you know, to pay an arm and a leg for concessions, which they've done a good job with. Right. I think they've done a good job with that.
1: Jesus, but- Jerry, what bathroom are you using? <laughs>
2: Well, so what, I'm just I'm, uh, I'm using uh, hypotheticals. I'm not saying that's happened, today. but I'm just saying you got to make the game day experience. Somebody go number as, two
1: in the in the no, urinal. No,
2: what happened? No, I'm using I'm using an example of just the type of things you need to do to make people want to come back. Right. Again, one of our biggest issues last year were the concession lines. I mean, you, you're you're in line for an almost an entire quarter to get a bag of popcorn. Right. Those are the kind of things you have to be smooth with.
1: I agree. So we got a caller. Uh, apparently, we're not hitting on all of the uh, of the topics that we should. JMV, go ahead, man. Yeah, I think one of the things that we need to hit on is the quality of schedules uh, teams coming to Cajun Field. That has to be tremendously improved. That keeps the casual fan uh, away too. Well, let me ask you this: this is this is a it's something I've always. Uh, Jay I'll tell you, it doesn't matter who we play, but HUD was also playing Texas State and and oh. Nichols, Nichols and Troy. We're we're playing all these teams. How is it? Like, take away all of the, the ancillary things that, you know, the handshaking and the him riding in the parades and, you know, getting up close and personal with the – it doesn't matter. Anyway, take away all that. <laughs> We're playing similar schedules here. Why can we – why are we selling more than double season tickets from a, with a guy from Mississippi than we are with a, a guy that's been on Napier's staff and is from New Iberia? I think our head coaches just get the community. Uh, you know, Hud got everybody involved. I mean, he fired everybody up. It was a can't-miss event. Uh, Napier Napier's kind of low-key. Bez was kind of low-key. And, you know, Hud would tell you, if you're not at the field, he'll send a bus to go pick you up. And I think just that excitement and involvement got people interested. No doubt. But you did say the schedule was a problem. That's what I'm saying. Is like the schedule is very similar. In fact, it's better now. The league yeah. is better now. Exactly. And we still can't yeah. sell we, we still can't sell tickets. Jared, I appreciate the call, man. Listen, I think at the end of the day, all right, you you you're gonna you have your core, you're always going to sell to, all right? Men's basketball showed us that. There's always going to be a certain amount of people that are going to show up. And you you still have to understand the culture that you're selling to. We're still selling a brand, we're still selling a product. We haven't arrived to the level of hey, you should just want to come to my stadium. We've done a poor job of selling the value. We don't have, we're not that long in the tooth when it comes to success. So we didn't get into the community. And if you want to say we don't have the manpower, I I agree with you. We didn't invest in the, the employees. We didn't hire the staff. Whose fault is that? I think that this administration has done a ton of things, that have benefited us and will benefit us for years to come. I think one particular area area that they've fallen short is understanding the culture that they're selling to. And this culture wants you to look at them, shake their hand, have a cup of coffee, have a beer, have a conversation. They're not going to respond to a flyer. They're not going to respond to an email. They might respond to an email with an update, but they're not coming to your event because you sent them an electronic mail. They're not, I'm sorry. They're just, this is an older area. We have an older demographic. Look at the fans that actually donate. They're all I mean the big ones, you know your RCAf donors and your, your big money people, they're all in their 50s and 60s and 70s. They're not younger. We're we're, now, we're just now reaching the younger generations. And I'll tell you right now, a lot of that has to do with HUD. The success that HUD brought brought on new fans. So I, I think that we've fallen short in in the outreach. I think we've fallen short in the promotions. I don't think that we're promoting in the right area. And even Patrick, when he was starting to do the social media, you know, ramp up that effort, he even said he was not getting the results that he expected. And Jerry knows this. Jerry has the conversations at that level. People people do not feel connected to the program like they once did. That's a problem. And I don't think we're ever going to sell season tickets. doesn't matter who we hire. We can hire Brian Macker can go down and coach the football team. You're not going to sell season tickets until you go have a conversation with people. And in order to do that, you got to hire staff. Well, if
0: we if he, look, if we can sell 6,000 season tickets for a 12,000 seat arena to watch hockey in 1997, we can do better in football. And that's because they had a product. They had a product people wanted to see. The hockey game was where it, it was a social thing. That's where everybody was on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. And again, the Berrymans came in, they shook hands, they kissed babies. They did what they had to do to make it successful. And they they had that one-on-one connection. I I appreciate 100%. I don't want this to be taken in a way that's, that's bashing the administration. They have done so much good, as you said, Josh. They have done so much good for this program and the university and the community. But you can't run it like when it comes to this, when it comes to promoting our program, you can't run it like an SEC program. You can do other things. You can have a head coach that runs his football team like an SEC program and has the nutrition and the conditioning and all that. But when it comes to connecting with the community, you have to be you have to listen more to what people want and what people need to connect them to the program. And I think that's just one thing we got to work on in the next few years.
2: Well, I think one of the things about our our program as a whole, our athletic program is we and it's also kind of our downfall. Sometimes we've talked about this is the personal relationships. And I say it's a downfall because you've seen in other sports where you have a fan that is more loyal to the coach than the program. Right. But it goes back to hmm. the foundation. That happens? It goes, Come on. Yeah, I know, right? But that's in the Cajun culture, it's all about the personal relationship. So rather than sending an email or sending some random flyer to your house, a lot of people here want that handshake. They want that personal interaction. And I think that's one thing that – not to say we don't do it because I, I think we, we try to a point, but – There is, I'm sure there's a formula out there to be able to reach out to people on a personal level. Uh, I know we're understaffed. I know we can't go to 600,000 people and do that one by one by one, but I know that there can be an effort to kind of meet halfway to kind of leverage it. I don't know what it is. I'm not a marketer, but I think if you can add sort of that personal interaction to reach out to people, and I think that's kind of one thing that HUD did a good job of, I think that is something that can improve. Um, the ticket sales prime example was when HUD was here his first four years, we had that event at, at um, Cypress Bayou casino. Remember that where it was like a preseason party and you had hundreds of people show up to it. You can meet the coaches. You can talk about the the upcoming season, do a little gambling, have some fun, but anybody could have gone. Anybody could have shown up. It wasn't one of those uh, events where like, it was only to this group that gives more than five or $10,000 anybody could show up and they did and you felt like you were a part of something right fans want to feel like they're a part of something and you know i hate to use this as an example but you look at the school to the east on the basin bridge look a lot of times a lot of those fans like i said they don't give much money but you know what they what else they do when they're playing in alabama on national tv even if they're sitting way at the top they feel like they're a part of that when they're on national TV, they feel that they're a part of that because they get to experience it with however other many fans. And even if you're sitting way at the top, even if you can, if the players look like ants, you're still in that, you're still in that environment and you feel that you're playing a part. I felt like that when I used to go to Saints games, when the Saints were winning their Super Bowl season. I felt like I was a part of it as a fan sitting in the upper deck, making noise, going crazy, right? And you hear the Joe Buck or Aikman or whoever on, you know, the national, the nationally televised game or Monday Night Football, where they're like, man, the Dome is rocking. The Dome is one of the loudest venues in the NFL. As a fan, I felt like I was playing a role in that, screaming my lungs out. You got to give the fans something. To feel like they're a part of and make it sound, make it as if they're playing a role in all of these things, right? When we're at the games as fans, like what we're doing now, we're, we're, we're doing our podcast. We feel like we're playing a role. But when we go to the games, when I mean, we're making noise and we're buying, you know, getting beer and going to the concession stand and creating that environment, you really feel like you're helping your team win. That's where I feel like that connection can come in with us. Again, I don't know how to do it. But if you can do that and create that interaction, I think you can see a lot of improvement with ticket sales. And I think you can see a lot of improvement with our game day environment.
1: I have long said the way that you create value in this particular area is you tell people they can't come. That is true. So so whatever rendering we have, if it's 35,000, it needs to be 25,000, 25,000 have a standing room area only. Uh, a steering room only area for like beers and hanging out and in the hill or whatever, maybe 3000 people worth the capacity. The capacity should be 28, 29, maybe 30,000 for Two, the reason. The reason why baseball had more people sit in the parking lot is because they were told they couldn't get in. Sorry. We don't have it. We don't have any room for you. <laughs> they, couldn't and they, get were in. Pissed. they were yeah. so pissed that they brought their fold out chairs and they sat in a damn parking lot and watched it on TV. They could have done that in their lazy boy
0: just to be close to it yeah every time we open a new restaurant they opened a dairy queen off of johnson street and for two months you could not get in because people were lined up all the way down to abbeville to get in to the <laughs> dairy queen because they couldn't get it true it is insane. that is that's lafayette and and yeah it faded out but that's to your point if, if you tell people they cannot get in, they will do everything they can to get
2: in. You know, Kyle made a good comment just now. I thought I would show it. The university and the RCAF need to create alumni fan clubs in every decent-sized town with a 100-mile radius of Lafayette. You know, I'll agree with that to a point. I, I also said that about the Alumni Association. You know, I know New Orleans and Houston and Lafayette are our three biggest cities, but, you know, I always thought Dallas, Birmingham, Mobile, Pensacola, Little Rock, Memphis – Jackson, Mississippi, all of, you know, I know you need manpower. I get it. But as to Kyle's point, you got to have these groups to me, they're, they're crucial because you kind it kind of helps you like follow along on what's going on with the program. You feel involved. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. Have an event, maybe once every quarter, you know, depending on what time of year it is, maybe have a watch party in those certain towns I don't I mean, I don't think that should cost too much money to have to get the I, group together. I mean, I've
0: I been know. in Houston for three years and I just found out we have a Houston alumni, you know, <laughs> on Facebook because right. one of our posts. I had no idea. So we need to get out more because I guarantee you, just in my neighborhood, I posted a, a picture of a flag one day that had the Raging Cajun flag in the, in the backyard. And 45 people in my neighborhood Facebook group started, you know, saying, hey, I went to Katie high. Hey, I graduated from UL. So there's a presence here. We just need to tap into it.
1: When you start treating your donors and your fans like valuable pieces of real estate rather than a nuisance, it'd be a pretty big shock how far that goes. And I know that's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not. I'm just saying. And look, to put a bow on it, okay? I think the administration has done way more things right than they've done wrong, except for the communications department. I think they could do a way better job. But other than that, I think we've done a fantastic job of, of setting the, the the groundwork for long-term success. And, and you know, we're going to have a whole new wave of hires here coming. And it's going to be interesting how we handle it. Uh, real quick, breaking news, kind of breaking news. We kind of talked to you guys about it at the top of the show. Um, it is official now. Chandler Fields is QB1. So that's been official. Uh, it's been made official by Mike and the staff. So. We kind of knew that. We kind of talked about it at the top, but that's the deal. We got one more thing on the rundown that we're going to talk about, and uh, it kind of goes back to the administration conversation. Nico Yanko is going on to be the AD man in charge for Murray State. Um, Great honor for him. I'll let Jerry uh, take it from here, and then we we can circle back.
2: Yeah, sure. No, I'm I'm very happy for Nico. Uh, We all kind of knew he was going to be – he was gonna go somewhere eventually. He had a lot of upside to him. He came in with Brian Maggard from Missouri. Um, and he's learned a lot and he's done a lot here. Uh, I think with with his his experience, he has done a lot of things from a program's perspective that has shown us of what it kind of gives gives us a, a look at what it's like to be like a P5, to run things like a P5. And he learned that at Missouri. And he's going to bring that to his alma mater where he was a, I believe he was a four-year letterman at Murray state. And uh, you know, he's one of those young and up and coming professionals in in college athletics, and he's going to do great things at Murray state. So I'm very happy for him and uh, Marnie and the little one, Uh, congratulations to them. I think he's going to do a good job. Uh, And it's, it's, It's always hard to lose someone like that because he had such a big role in UL athletics. And of course, now there's going to be a learning curve for somebody else to come in as a deputy AD. And so you have to teach them the ropes and it's going to take them time. And I think the timing is as a fan, I'm going to be selfish when I say this, it's kind of frustrating because of everything that's going on right now with the quote unquote momentum we have to lose someone like nico and then we've lost two guys from the rcaf in the last year we've lost another fundraiser from the ul foundation it's just (laughs) it's like man can we keep can we lose any more people right now it's such a crucial time where we need to fundraise, and you know we're trying to build the stadium we got facility improvements outside the stadium i'm sure we're trying to do got bills to pay so uh yeah nico was just an added uh added person to that list of people that are leaving us, but now very happy for him. Congratulations to Nico. I hope he does well. I think he's going to do very well. And, and um, you know, I'm sure he's going to bring Murray state to, to levels they've never seen before. So congratulations to Nico, Marnie, little Chaney and uh, his family and and best of luck to him at and, and Murray state.
0: Yeah. I'll echo that Jerry. Um, congratulations. I, I met Nico when he first got hired, I was obviously doing work with the athletic department and always super nice in person. Um, you know the few times that we did get to meet and hang out. Uh, it, look in, in that role, and in my career, one of the things they do every year is say, "Okay, what what's next for you? Like this isn't a stopping point. What's your next stop?" And so I look. I want the the captain of the ship to be here as long as he can because Doctor Maggard has done great things for the university, and and, and but the, but his the supporting cast. I think it's a developmental you know, league mentality. They're looking for their next step and their next role in in their career. And I think that's a natural, I mean, think about the fact that we had a former athletic director that in his next move went to, uh, you know, be a division three or whatever athletic director. And then you look at uh, a a school, Louisiana Tech, who had their AD go and be a fundraiser at Vandy uh, after his, you know, his next step in the career. So when you're talking about a deputy Uh, AD or assistant AD or whatever Nico's title was moving on to being an athletic director. That's what that role should really be. It should be a stepping stone for something bigger and better for him. So congratulations. Look forward to, uh, to seeing who, who fills that role next. And hopefully it's someone who connects with the community. I think that's big. We just touched on it. We need somebody who has that community outreach that connects with us and even better if it is one of us, because I will tell you, Cajun people trust Cajun people. They don't necessarily always trust people from the outside, people from other places. So hopefully it's somebody who can connect with the university, even better if it's someone local, but looking forward to uh, to what I'm sure will be a successful hire by Dr. Maggard.
1: Jerry, you think I should apply for the job or what?
0: I definitely think you should. I think, I you, think should. you should too. You should send a video resume in. Don't send I your think, TV. I think you should too, man.
1: Just send Why a couple not? of episodes of the pod. Sure, <laughs> Jerry's face says it all. It, do, it all doesn't right. hurt to put your name in the hat, Josh. You never know what could happen, Shh, right? They would light that hat on fire if my name was in that hat. <laughs> so, uh, I don't. I don't know how. You know, I don't know how honest I'm going to be here. Look, I, I think that Nico was hired to do a job, and he did it mostly right. I think. I think that people come here and they see this job as a stepping stone, like you said. And in his position, you can't really, you know, you can't really fault a guy. I understand that. I think that we left a lot of opportunities on the table in the last couple of years. I'll tell you that. And I think that there's a certain way that you should go about your business when you're in the trust business. And that's what he is because he's one of his major jobs was to sell the program. When you sell something, you have got to follow it with not integrity, but you got to follow it with action. And I think a lot of times that action was, was lacking. I'll say that. Uh, And that's just my personal real opinion. as someone who dealt with that office and him very often. I felt like he was hired to do a job and he did his job for the most part. So next man up is what I'll say. Let's get the next guy in here and see what we can do. Cause I I think that I think that we can do a lot more than we have. I think uh, if I'm relating it back to the program, I think that when you look at the defections over the past, what, seven months, um, if you take out the Napier defections and you just talk about, you know, the former RCAF director and his right-hand man, and now Nico, I think that I think that there's an opportunity for three new hires to really improve those positions. I'll say that. I'll say that. Uh, I don't think that that's me. Good? Fair? We feel good about that?
0: Okay, like, good. I would confidence say that's probably not you, Josh.
1: That's the nicest way I can put it. I mean, what do you want?
2: Well, I think. Look, I'll I'll um I'll come into the rescue as always and sugarcoat it for you, Josh. Here comes uh, Jerry
1: with the bubble wrap. We're gonna I'll wrap Nico in bubble, and bubble wrap. wrap. You know, here's the thing, dude. Look, if you don't want to be talked about in the media and you don't want to be a public person, don't get into college athletics. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say the truth. This is what you signed up for, buddy. I mean, look, you're you're the right hand man to the athletic department at Louisiana, and you just so happen to have to deal with me. Sorry, that's part of the job. That's what you signed up for. <laughs> you gotta deal with me. Sorry.
2: <laughs> well, look, I, I'll say this. And, and to your point, you you talk about next man up, and one thing that I, I'll I say I'll put bubble wrap and sugarcoat it, but I think the point you're trying to allude to is simple: the program comes first, regardless of who has the job. It's like a coach. It's not about if you become friends with the coach or not. You can become friends with the coach. That's a bonus. But the coach isn't hired to become your friend. He's here to win games and build a program, or she's here to win games or build a program for you. That's what coaches are hired to do. So the deputy athletic director, same thing. Deputy AD is hired to push this program forward. So I I allude to your point. I get what you're saying. And uh, again, I I thank Nico for his time here and got to know him over the last few years. Great guy. And I hope he does well at Murray State. But now we have to fill in that position. So who's it going to be, and can that person do the job? That's what I'm concerned about now.
0: Jerry, but- I'll just go back to your point about you're hired to be a coach, not be a f- friends with the fans. Unless you're a certain subset of, you know, um, coaches within the program, then maybe you get paid to be friends with fans. But otherwise, typically, no, you get Hey-ho. paid to be program and win games. That is the main point about being a successful coach
1: an administrator an administrator look it, it it comes with the job this is why i have such a big deal as a big problem with how much these guys care about what we say on a on a freaking recording or what we type on a fan message board who cares who cares you were hired to be a professional you were hired to do a job man about town hurt your feelings oh my god who gives a shit you're in a you're in a public position it's my job as a as a supporter, a donor for many many years, spent many 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 dollars on the program that you represent. It is my job to ask questions and to question you, to question your job performance. Okay, be a professional, man. Suck it up. Sorry, I don't like what you're doing. We're, we can do better. I'm not I'll use this here. analogy.
2: Okay, you're the chef. Josh is coming to your restaurant. You cooked this. You undercooked a steak. Okay, he's just saying, look, you undercooked my steak. I wanted. I ordered medium well. You cooked it. You cooked it raw. Right.
1: Well, the analogy works if I gave you the money to buy the ingredients, then you cook the meal and I go to your restaurant to pay again for the meal that you prepared, and it still sucks. I get to say, look, dude, this is just not good enough. Nick, am I wrong? That's 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 how the analogy should be. I haven't eaten dinner yet, so you make me hungry. That's And the all. better,
2: and the better analogy is: not only do they not cook it, they just don't give you the steak. You don't get steak; they just leave it in the kitchen.
1: You well, that's what steak. happens when you're dealing with the, com, the comms department. They just won't even—they won't even respond to your complaints about the steak. Oh, Josh, yeah, you're
2: never, not getting steak. Man. I mean, you're, the, the steak's changed. not coming back yeah. to you.
1: you Listen, just gotta man, I was—I was, was told by a very wise man: if you got hate in your heart, let it out, baby. Just let it out. Don't keep that in. Don't keep it inside. <laughs> anyway, I think that that is a spectacular place to leave it, boys. It's been fun. Pretty much a success, right? I mean, it
0: well, didn't I'll go too this. far off the
1: rails. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Spotify, Amazon, Google, podcast, whatever it is that you listen to us on. Also, go to YouTube, subscribe to the channel. We also have a new channel on Twitch, something I have no idea what it is, but apparently it's a thing. So subscribe, rate, review, like, share, comment, all those things. Help us out, Rage and Review, at Rage and Review on Twitter uh, and everywhere else. Thanks again.